Hello and welcome to Talking Upward, the show where we discuss all things TRIO and explore the critical aspects of TRIO programs, including higher education, scholarships, and policy. Ultimately, we discover what educators and students need to know by examining our shared experiences and discuss how we all can stay on the path upward. I'm your host, Reggie Holyfield, and today we have a special guest, the hometown hero, Mr. Jeremy Russell, alumni, current educator. I'll let him introduce himself. Jeremy, JJ, welcome to the podcast. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Reggie. You know, great to have, you know, your blessings for me to uh, bring, you know, bringing me on to your podcast and everything. So I really appreciate this this opportunity that you've given me. And uh, yeah, man, we're ready to get, get into it and get it going. All right. So for those of our listeners who may not know, your background, your story. Could you share that with us? Well, first of all, like I said, my name is Jeremy Russell. I'm from Bill County, um, Alabama, located about 30 miles south of Tuscaloosa and Centerville. I am an alumni of Bill County High School, graduated from here in 2006. And then I did two years of college at Wallace Selma right after that. And then I end up getting my bachelor's degree from the University of Montevallo, which is, you know, very, very well known with the TRIO program. And then from there, I came back to my hometown where, where I'm teaching and coaching now, Bill County High School. I've been here going into my 11th year this year, coaching basketball and also teaching as well in the special education format. So it's been, it's been a great 11 years. So it's going to, Try to continue to um, impact young students' lives and continue to mold them the best way I can for the future. So it's been a great, great ride and a great experience so far. Wow. Over a decade in. That's, that's amazing. Sure. So you said something in your background that I want to touch on as a practitioner in higher education. You mentioned that you started out the first two years at Wallace State and then you transferred to the University of Montevallo. Is that correct? Correct. So talk about that process. So what we, what I've seen in my, you know, short lived research in higher education and retention in terms of African-American men attending higher education in general is they typically start out at a local school, a community college, a JUCO, something of that nature, especially if, you know, if they're involved in athletics. However, there's a, there's a rough transition going from a two-year school to a a larger host school, a four-year institution. How right. did how did that how did that work for you? Well you hit you hit on a lot of key points, Red, right there. That definitely is somewhat of an issue or glaring problem with young African American males transitioning from a two year school into a four year school. A couple of couple of things that kind of stand out would be when those African-American males go to those two-year schools, one, they don't finish. And then number two is that when they get done with the two-year school, they never pursue the bachelor's or the, you know, the four-year degree after that. For me, what really helped me throughout that whole process, Reggie, was definitely outside support, you know, whether it was educators, family members, mom, dad, former educators, so you definitely need to have that support 
going throughout that whole process. I was very fortunate and very mm-hmm. blessed to have all of those because without that, to be honest, Red, I don't honestly think I would have made it. So that's definitely where I'm trying to come from in that aspect to where, yes, these, these kids today, they definitely need that extra support, whether it's coming from home, coaches, friends of the family, educators, whatever the case may may be, they definitely need that outside support to definitely help them navigate through some of the trials and tribulations that's going to come their way. Mm. And um, the TRIO program, without a question, no doubt, definitely helped me throughout the transition because I was in the TRIO uh, program, the outbound program, every year through high school, picking up on those test-taking what I needed to know and what I needed to learn, how to prepare myself academically and socially, you know, right. to get yourself prepared for that next level. Because a lot of kids, you know, they're in shell shock once they graduate high school, they blame. Number one, they don't have a plan by the time they leave high school. And then once they graduate, now they're trying to figure out what to do instead of already having an idea of what they want to do once they graduate. So that really is a slip up or an issue that they really struggle with when they come out of high school. That's what the TRIO program and the Oakbound program really helped, helped, me with, helped me with personally in my preparation for life after high school. I had a plan. Yes, it was, you know, on the academic side of it. Yes, I had that going as well. But I mean, I can't play till I'm 100 years old. You gotta have you gotta have a fallback plan as well for after you know <laughs> get done playing athletically. So it's always academics was pushed from day one. You know, definitely by Miss Buff, Miss Gilbert, Doctor Flo. Way back then, cause I started then when she was in office as well too. And then, like, you know, from from home, you know, and, and it definitely started at home too. So I always had those positive role models around me that I can emulate and pick up things from because my, my middle sister, she was heavily involved in the trio program as well. And that's kind of what got me, got the ball rolling for me, me seeing the day in and day out, how she went about her academics on top of handling the, the, the rigors of being a student athlete and definitely student comes first because you can't have one without the other. The grades come before the, before the sport. So, and that was always drilled into it by um, educators that, that helped us and my parents and everything as well. So, so yeah, the the death is, is, is a definite drop off as far as African American male goes from when they're transitioning from a smaller college and then definitely going into a four year school or whatever they decide to pursue after they get finished with college. So, so you said a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. And what you said, for those of our listeners who don't know, Mr. Russell is a extreme Kobe Bryant fan. And, and, and if there's one thing that I remember and I know about Kobe Bryant is that Kobe Bryant mentality or that Mamba mentality. Right. So, and you played sports, right? So did, did you play JUCO at the community college level and at the four-year institution? How did that work? Well, let me backtrack a little bit before that. It's really started as far as my competitive nature and my competitiveness. It started way back when I was around 
I want to say four or five years old. Wow. And my dad is really, you know, highly decorated um, in the high school ranks. He plays basketball. He played baseball as well. But he's really most known for was basketball. He played at the University of Alabama back in mm-hmm. the mid-70s as well with with T.R. Dunn and those guys and Coach Meadows when they were all at the University of Alabama, and he did quite well. So I've always had that going for me as far as using that as a motivating tool, kind of living up to those type of expectations with him playing at the University of Alabama and kind of tracking everything and going from there. And then also I had my middle sister, and she was highly athletic as well and very competitive. And she kind of helped push me and mold me when I was young growing up as well, too. So I played everything growing up from baseball to basketball to football. Man. I was always doing something constructive, you know, all in while learning what it, what it meant to put you all into something, work hard for something, compete at something, and all of those things. So once I got into high school, things really started kind of turning around for me, really going well. And then that's when I um, earned my scholarship to Wallace and Selma, my first two years. And from that point, leading up leading up to that point, you know, I had all the values and understanding what hard work meant. Nothing's going to be given to you. You earn everything. Being accountable, being dependable. Your character has always got to be in check, academic. So that whole bit just came from watching my dad, hearing about my dad, how he did things, and then definitely watching my sister go through that whole process from when, from when, from the time she was in middle school and then coming up through high school, I was able to watch her and kind of see how she went about doing things. And definitely my mom always holding me accountable as far as my academics and grades and all of that and just making me understand that grades come first, sports come second, always having that backup plan to do things after that ball starts bouncing, so to speak. That's so it. I always have I've always taken that into account whether it's me playing personally, me coaching kids, me teaching kids. So all of that goes into account and I've just kinda always taken that with me, you know, going all the way back to when I was younger. High school, middle school, definitely going into um, college at Wallace and then when I finished up playing at the University of Montevallo as well and I'm taking and I've taken those same qualities into coaching and teaching to where I'm doing it now. Okay. You spoke watching and emulating uh your sister and your dad. So along the way, you know, you kinda had these people in your path motivating you. But along the way on the scholastic and academic side, because you're right, you spoke on this, you're a student athlete. You're right. Student first, athlete second. How did that work out? Did you still have some of those same people, you know, from the trio programs maybe or at, or at, back at home who chimed in and kind of said, hey, how are you doing? Or did you have an academic tutor? What's that process like? If, if, I'm, if I'm a high school student now, what are the things that I need to look forward to or, or, or what do I need to come equipped with and be prepared to learn? Yeah, great question. Yes, I, I, I had those same people that kind of helped me along the way. They would always constantly check on me. One in particular, you know her very well, Miss Mary Jo Buff. 
that's the that's the God saying <laughs> of this whole thing, you know. I Absolutely. mean her her reputation precedes her times a million, you know. And that's that was one of the main people that kinda really got the ball rolling for me academically and really maximizing and making me understand my potential, my full potential academically. Not only was it my sister, but definitely Miss Mary Jo Buff. She was always very honest. She's gonna be she's a straight shooter, but at the same time she loves, she absolutely loves her kids to death and she always wants what's best for them. So she would constantly check up on me even after I got done with um at the University of Montebello and even after I got done with the trio program and things like that. So you've always got those people that would constantly check on you, how you doing, how are things going with you in your personal life and also in your career and everything. So Miss Miss Buff was definitely one. Um also my mom, you know, she stayed on me all the time, still does to this day. Same thing with my sister as well. And so yeah, those 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 would be two of the main people that were that I would say really stayed on me, you know, throughout my course of my um, academics and really checking up on me, making sure I was doing the things that I needed to do. And as far as the I mean, incoming kid, what I would tell them is to just be confident in what you're trying to do and what you're trying to pursue. Ask questions. Be curious. Being cu- being a curious learner is a great thing because there's never anything that you can't say or ask that would technically be wrong. The wrong, the only thing that would be wrong is if you don't ask the question. So I would say have an open mind. Be be motivated. Be confident in whatever it is that you're trying to pursue, and you have the right mindset and have the right attitude. You'll get out of it what you want out of it. And so I kind of live by the saying, inspire before I expire. You mentioned that to our listeners before. And we're going we're gonna to pivot right here and switch gears and talk about professionalism. You've been an educator over, an, over a decade, 11 years. Yeah. As an African-American male. How, how is that? So, you know. It I'm, is. It's an everyday talent. Um, to be quite honest, Reggie, you hit the nail on the head being an African-American in the education system is a challenge in itself, you know, based off our history as African American, we've overcome, you know, a ton and still are battling certain barriers, but yet we still, you know, continuing to fight and press on and do the best we can under the circumstances that we have. And so it's a daily challenge. It's it's not easy, but at the same time it's been quite rewarding from an aspect of I'm one of very few. I wish I wasn't one of very few. We definitely need more African-Americans involved in education because we see the impact of when we don't have African-Americans involved in education. Mm -hmm. And we see that from, you know, a social standpoint out in the workforce and in just everyday life. So if we could somehow get more African-American males involved in education, getting them more involved in these young people's lives early on, it would be, you know, a much better situation for everyone involved. Because I see it every day, you know, it's, it's really 
it's it's a tough challenge, especially when you're just one of very few that's that's in this field or this line of work. But that's what makes it worth worthwhile. You, you you know and you understand that you're fighting a good fight and that you're trying to do the best you can for all the kids that you come in, you know, in contact with on a daily basis. And you get a first row seat look at you know, what these kids deal with on a daily basis and you do the best you can to try to help them navigate through these issues and these different things that they're going to come in contact with on a daily basis because for the most part, you've been through some of these things as well. So there's the correlation right there. So, you know, my job as an educator, especially being an African-American educator, is to do the best I can to help them navigate through any of these issues that, that that might come up, whether it's whether it's in education, whether it's socially, you know, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it, you know, whatever the case might be. And I'll always be straightforward with them and honest with them. Absolutely. A a mentor of mine told me when I got an education as an African American male, he told me, he said, you know, your job and your career teach you know hundreds and thousands of students but as an african-american male your job is not to save the world mm-hmm. it's not to save the world it is to educate and prepare the next generation right you go in thinking you're going to save the world you need to sit back and, re- and reflect on, on some of the things you have going on that's right and Speaking of that, and that, to be honest, Rich, that's how I was my first, I'd probably say my first two or three years. And it really took me a while to learn and understand that you're not going to be able to save the world. You're not going to be able to save every kid. As bad as you want to, to be, to be realistic, we know that's not the case. So once you get over that mental hurdle or that emotional hurdle of, okay, I know and understand that I'm not going to be able to save every last kid. But in the process of that, if I can save at least one and also at the same time plant seeds Mm. of inspiration, motivation, and all of that, now I can see it manifest because if I can reach one and get through to that one, now that one kid can go reach another one, and then that kid can go reach another one, and now there goes the manifestation. Now it's able to spread that way. And so long as I'm able to reach at least one kid and get through the, to at least one kid, I've done my job. And I can't get so bogged down and get so caught up in trying to save everybody knowing that I can't. And I miss out on the opportunity to really save one or really get through the one that really wants it and really needs it. You know, so mm-hmm. it took me about two or three years to really understand that concept of it. And then once I did, um, at least for me personally, it, it got a whole lot better as far as me connecting with the kids and really understanding what makes them tick. So once I understood that process for myself mentally and then went from there, it was it was good to go from that point on. Absolutely. And so you spoke on involvement. Do I have this correct? Over the summer, you, you kind of expanded uh, your involvement with the community by starting – a, a basketball camp? Can you speak on that? Yeah. Um, actually, and th- this was something 
that I've been wanting to do here, especially my hometown, for like years. Like this is something I've been wanting to do since I actually graduated from the University of Montevallo, but we never could find like the place to do it. We, we didn't have an, an actual concrete, consistent building to do it in. So what I did this summer, since I'm coaching basketball, when I started, the name of my brand that I started was it's, it's called Repeat Training. And it's, and it's training kids and teaching kids through basketball, you know, how to play the ball, uh, how to play the, the correct way, showing them proper skills and, and, and understanding the game of basketball. So I got the idea when I first started coaching, I just kind of looked at our demographics and everything around our community. And I just kept thinking whenever we would compete outside of here, other kids in other places, they would always somewhat have the upper hand, whether, whether it be some kids would be bigger, stronger, more, you know, heavily coordinated than some of our kids here. It wasn't because of a lack of talent, because we got talent, you know, running out of our ears, and everybody knows that. But what swings the pendulum for other people is the skill development, and these kids having a consistent place to continue to sharpen their skills and have someone, you know, really be there for them as far as having access to different things as far as improving their skills of basketball. So when they build the BMC Wellness Center, which is basically like a uh, YMCA-type build to where it's got weights and a gym and a pool and everything, when we got it here, the light bulb went off for me to say, hey, okay, here's an opportunity to start start up the training thing that I was that I had been wanting to do because I look at everybody and all the other surrounding areas. Places have like a center or somewhere you know the kids can go on their skills and continue to improve. So I ended up starting it from scratch. You know, came up with the name and presented it to the people at BM, BMC Wellness Center. And they agreed and they allowed me to do it. And so I started it up this summer and it was the first summer this summer and it went really well. Yeah, I got a lot of feedback from some outside people from outside of the county. I got a good turnout from the kids and everybody. So I'm looking forward to continuing to do that, you know, as long as I can. That's awesome. And something came to mind, you know, while you were speaking, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Amen. That's what came to my mind when you were speaking on your students there. Let's just change gears and switch gears again. And let's talk about unpacking feedback. So you mentioned, you know, it was the, the inaugural year, the initial year. And you mentioned that you receive outside feedback and you receive feedback from the stakeholders who, who run the facility. How important yeah. is that as a, as a coach as a, as a player to receive feedback, not just on the court or out on the field, but just academically and in life? I think it's, it's vital. It's, it's, a, it's a huge thing to have someone be honest with you and, and kind of tell you some of the things that you're doing well and, and, and honestly some of the things that you aren't doing well. Now, the flip side to that is how do you accept that information 
and how do you dissect that information? Because like you said, a lot of times, you know, people don't want to hear the truth. People always want to hear good things about them or got those people that just, just tell me what I want to hear instead of telling you what you need to hear. And that's, that's really two different things. And to me, in my opinion, when you're always hearing, you know, what you want to hear or you're always hearing positive things, you never really reach your full potential and mm. you never really truly grow. Mm-hmm. For me, as a coach, as an educator, just as an everyday person, I've always been at a proponent, you know, of honesty. Be straightforward with me. Be upfront. My pride has never been too big to where I can't take advice from someone else, whether they're older than me or younger. Because I know, number one, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm going to make mistakes or you might see something differently than I do. It doesn't make you wrong and it doesn't make me right or vice versa. There's always, you know, different ways of viewing things. There's always different ways of doing things. And so with that, when you hear other people's different perspectives, you develop a certain level of respect, you know, for other people's opinions. And also, you're able, you're able probably to figure out a different way of doing doing certain things. From a coaching standpoint, I've always been, you know, one of hearing that feedback, whether it be positive or negative, because I can always use that to better myself because if I'm bettering myself, it ultimately means I'm getting better for my kids. And so therefore my kids will be better. If I'm able to hold myself accountable, set my pride to the side and assess or go back and address whatever someone has told me that I need to get better at or do this a different way, do this a different way. Now I can be a better person or a better version of myself for my kids. So therefore they'll be better. Same thing in education. It goes, it's a two way street. It goes both ways. If someone is telling me I need to maybe try this one, try this a different way, or this a different way, and it'll help me become a better person as an educator or someone that's helping, you know, young people, I'm going to do that. I've never been a person that's, that's egos that's too big or I've got too much pride. You're not going to get very far in this life if, you, if you're always thinking like that or if your guard is up every time somebody says something to you or, just, you know, you think you're right all the time because it's never going to work out well for you if you do think that way. So I've always been a person of, yes, I've always had an open mind. I've always been able to take constructive criticism from anybody. And I've always been able to respect what people's viewpoints have come from and I've always been able to you know take it in and then being able to dissect it and then being able to properly adjust and then make myself better for the other people that I help in coaching third appreciate it coach um what three tools last but not least before we get out of here what three tools indispensable intangible or tangible would you suggest the students carry with them from a transition from high school to college or college to life? Three indispensable tools. Great question. I would say one would be character because at the end of the day, in this format and where we are, 
You know, in this day and age, eyes are on you all the time. You never know where your next opportunity will come from, who might be watching you, whatever. The second one would be trust, always being able to to have trust in whatever it is that you're pursuing, being able to trust others. But like I said, being able to ultimately uh, trust yourself and trust trust the process of whatever dreams that you're trying to pursue. Third would be dependability. Being very dependable would take you a long way in life. Being able to count on someone to be where they're supposed to be, to do what they're supposed to do, that will really take you far in whatever aspect of life that you end up deciding to go into. There you have it, folks. Coach Jeremy Russell, Bibb County High School, stopping by on the podcast today, dropping some knowledge. We appreciate you, Coach. Yes, sir. Thank you, Red. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely.